It's February 24, 2023. It's the Friday edition and the only edition this week of the Sports Wagon Podcast. How's everybody doing? It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Uh, another long week. Um, the, the, the writing process tends to get a little hung up on Mondays and it definitely got hung up this week on Tuesday. So we, uh, I worked a little bit hard to make sure that a Friday show got pushed out. So lots to get to. We're going to talk a lot of college basketball today. Um, we got the seed reveals finally. Um, I got a few things to get off my chest about the women's side, the men's side, a couple items. We'll start in the WNBA uh, with today's show, free agency, some more uh, signings. So some, some signings that shouldn't really be of a surprise to anyone. Uh, Los Angeles resigns Chene Agumake. So um, both the Agumake sisters staying in Los Angeles and it's one of those things. Those two are such uh, you know, a vital part of that franchise. It was probably 1% or less of a chance that they were going to go anywhere else. So, again, L.A., um, they've got those two back in the fold. Phoenix re-signs Brittany Griner to a one-year deal and two-year deal re-signing for Diana Taurasi, who will begin her 19th season in Phoenix. And, again, when we reported the fact that she was in contract negotiations um, you know, she kind of, you know, was I think she was at Olympic camp and she was saying, well, you know, we're working some things out, but mm, we'll see. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, I at first didn't like the tenor of that. Then I go, well, OK, let's think about it. Where is she going? There's again, there's that one percent or less chance she was going anywhere else. So they and of course, with the new management situation, um, uh, you know, new ownership, that sort of thing. You know, I guess there was kind of. Maybe some feeling out there, but they got her two-year deal, so she signed up for at least through her 21st season. Um, so sent there apparently is no stop in Diana Taurasi, and so she's gonna be back lighting up for Phoenix. Um, Los Angeles got some bad news: Stephanie Talbot, who just recently signed a two-year deal with the Sparks, she will miss the entire season with a torn ACL, so she's back in Australia uh, playing in the pro leagues there. So that's a big big hit for them so she was a, a good signing for that that team let's move with the major league baseball so one uh note so that so as spring training is getting started a lot of there's a lot going on as far as kind of player evaluation so as far as there's some injuries so for example jacob de i think he threw from the mound for the rangers uh he had some tightness i think in his arm or shoulder so he had to take a little time to kind of slowly get back into it but they say he did i think through about 24 or so pitches from the mound. He said he felt good. So that's good news for the Rangers. That was a big uh, pickup, a big signing for them during Hot Stove League. Bryce Harper. So you remember with Bryce Harper, um, he is expected in Philly's camp in two weeks. So his prognosis for his right elbow is really ramped up to the good. He had elbow surgery in November after the World Series. He's taking swings at home. So he's going to report to camp in about two or three weeks from now, so around the week of the, uh, between March 8th and 9th. Um, so the timetable may get pushed up because the doctors are feeling very good about his prognosis. So we're talking initially, the the talk was he was going to be back by the all-star break, back in his DH role, potentially by the end of the season, he could be back in right field. So I don't know what the current timetable is but they say that that timetable that i just announced was what the plan was but the prognosis is so good that he's already taken swings that 
he could possibly maybe still follow that same path where he'll be DHing because he DH, I think, all, if not all, of most of last season. He'll probably DH at some point potentially in the season, maybe before the All-Star break and then maybe back in right field, maybe around the time the Phillies make a push potentially again for the playoffs. Remember, remember we're talking about the defending National League champs here. So that is very good news for that for that franchise because he played with that. I think it was an owner. His uh, it was an owner collateral ligament, if I recall correctly, was um, was just bothering him all season. He had some stem cell injections that helped, but because of that uh, that help that he needed, that limited him to the DH role, and he and he did really well. So that was part of the catalyst for getting the Phillies to their first World Series. Uh, I think in about four about fourteen years or so, 12, 13, 12 years ago, uh, twelve or thirteen years ago. Um, also from Major League Baseball, rest in peace to Tim McCarver, 81 years old. He passed away last week, I believe, about a week ago. Um, McCarver is an all-star catcher, Hall of Fame broadcaster, and he won two World Series with the St. Louis Cardinals. So McCarver started his career in 1959 with St. Louis, and he retired in 1980. Not soon after he retired, he became a baseball analyst. So he was with ABC, CBS, and Fox. He has the record. 24 so he called 24 world series as an analyst and it's interesting he was an analyst for so long he managed to work with both uh jack buck and his son joe so jack on cbs and then with joe he was with him for 18 years uh in the booth for fox calling the world series and won six emmys uh, in that time so uh, mccarver grew up in memphis um, went to segregated schools, and by the time he got to St. Louis, he played with Kurt Flood. He played. Uh, he was the catcher for um, the great Bob Gibson, and he, in his autobiography, credited them as um, somebody who challenged his his racism. He said that you know in his book they wrote in like the late '80s. He said his um, autobiography. He basically said, you know, all the things that I said um, or when I said them, Kurt Flood. And Bob Gibson got in my face and told me that, you know, hey, that's not what we do. And so he was really thankful for uh, their uh, their ability to challenge him in a lot of ways to kind of expand uh, his thinking outside of kind of the the I, I want to say I feel like he, he used the term latent racism. But my whole thing is, I mean, if you I mean, if you're outwardly saying it, that's not latent. That's just you're blatantly not latent. You're blatantly racist. And so he was very thankful for their uh, their presence uh, in his life to kind of make a difference and to educate him as to, you know, how to uh, be in a society, an integrated society during that time. So in addition, uh, he was also the catcher for Steve Carlton. So he met Carlton uh, early in his career. They were reunited in Philadelphia. So over his 21 year career. He played for St. Louis, Montreal, Boston, and Philadelphia. He was inducted into the Cardinals Hall of Fame in 2017. Um, his numbers, he was a 271 regular season hitter, and he was 273 in the playoffs, as we mentioned, two World Series titles. So rest in peace to uh, Tim McCarver. So let's get into our Black History Profile. So today, we're going to talk about the great Wilma Rudolph. So, oh my gosh, um, being a guy who ran track um, many, many years ago, uh, and then, you know, kind of learning about Wilma Rudolph's um, legacy. 
this this one is really special because I her story is so I you know inspirational I think is a good word but I think her story is just I love her story I I, I think her story is, is just great I love it so Wilma Rudolph was born in St Bethlehem T Tennessee in 1940 she was one of 22 children and during childhood she survived bouts of polio and scarlet fever the illnesses forced her to wear a leg brace doctors told her that she would never walk again. So her parents, her mother specifically, took her to, uh, at that time, Meharry Medical College, now National General Hospital. And so they took long bus rides from, I believe, after she was born and she was born in St. Bethlehem. Her family moved to Clarks, Clarksville, Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, outside the visits to doctors, her parents and siblings took turns massaging her legs and she began to hop on one leg by the age of six. By the age of eight, she could move around with one brace. And then at the age of 11, her mother discovered her outside playing basketball. So basketball was the first sport that she played. And she was nominated as an All-American in high school in basketball. But she had a chance meeting with track coach Ed Temple. And Ed Temple was the head track coach at Tennessee State University. So Ed Temple's a Hall of Fame coach. He coached uh, the Olympic teams, um, led the fast, the, the red, the led the, uh, the well-known Tiger Bells at Tennessee State. So the Tiger Bells, um, they have a number of Hall of Famers, eight to be specific, and they've won 34 national championships. So again, um, she, be, she is part of that amazing legacy at Tennessee State University. So Temple, trained her in track and she won numerous AAU events and that led her to compete in the 1956 Olympics as a I believe as a sophomore in high school so in that appearance she won the 4x100 relay two years later she rolled at Tennessee State and she competed in the Pan American Games in Chicago where she won silver in the 100 meters and gold in the 4x100 relay she continued through that period to win AAU events for four straight years from 1959 to 1963 and three AAU titles. But the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome is where she made her mark. She won gold, the 100, the 200 and the four by 100 relay and became the first American woman to win three gold medals and one Olympiad. In the 200 meters, she set a record of, of 24 seconds and her heat time was 23.2 seconds. That record has since been broken by the late great Florence Griffith Joyner. She ran a 21.34 seconds in the 88 Olympics in South Korea. But at that time, Wilma Rudolph was considered the fastest woman in history. In addition, she was one of the most popular athletes at the game. So you got to think about the people who are at the 60 games. Let's talk about Oscar Robertson. Let's talk about decathlete Rafer Johnson. And of course, the man we know as Cassius Clay, who later became Muhammad Ali. So she was dubbed so many names at this Olympics. The, the Italians call her La Gazella Nera, the Black Gazelle. The French uh, coined her as La Pearl Noire, the Black Pearl. But she was simply known in many circles as the Tornado because of her speed. So because of that, she was the AP Women's Athlete of the Year in 1961. She was named as one of the best athletes of the 20th century. And not soon after she was named AP Women's Athlete of the Year, she retired from track and field. In 1962, she, she graduated from Texas, uh, Tennessee State with a degree in education. 
and she has been enshrined in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. And during her time after she retired from track, she started an organization to help amateur track and field stars. Later on in 1990, so 25 years after her achievements at the college level, she became the first woman to receive the NCAA Silver Anniversary Award. So um, every 25, so after 25 years after you graduated from college as an athlete, you are eligible for the silver, um, the silver um, anniversary awards. I think Peyton Manning uh, and some others were nominated. I guess won it this year, but she became the first woman to win that award. The indoor track and dormitory at Tennessee State are named in her honor. She died of a brain tumor on November 12th, 1994 at the age of 54. So we honor and this is, again, a special one for me because, I mean, my my mother being a former athlete, she talked a lot. She mentioned Wilma Rudolph to me on a number of occasions. And I've, you know, over the years have you know thought about her legacy. Again, the Tiger Bells, their legacy with such great uh, runners like uh, I think it's Cassandra Cheesebro and Wyoming Tyus and so many other great names who have come through that Tennessee State program. But again, Ed Temple um, is a great name and track. And again, everyone associated with this Tennessee State uh, track program are just um, some of the best, some of the greatest winners uh, that I have read about for me personally. All right, when we come out, we'll take a break. Uh, we'll come out, we'll get into NASCAR and we'll get into college basketball. So kind of recap the scores from the week go over the schedule. But we want to get into these top 16 seeds and also coaching carousel. So before I finished writing this show there was some coaching carousel stuff i i ran across so we want to throw a few things at you and of course friday we got dubs and l's this week so we'll get into that stay tuned
All right, everybody, welcome back. So let's go to NASCAR. So the longest Daytona 500 in history, double overtime, under caution, was won by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. So he led 10 laps of the race. And this race was historic in some other ways. So JTG Doherty Racing, they become the first single car team to win the 500. And the team is co-owned by a woman and by Brad Doherty. So he becomes the first black team owner to win the, the, the Daytona 500. Congratulations to him. So I, my, my understanding is he was not at the race. He left due to a minor medical issue. So, um, but I guess I uh, hope he watched or listened to the race. And, and, and again, that, that race was interesting because they had two restarts at the end. So the first restart was under single o overtime and that was two laps and then on the first lap of, of that first overtime, there was another caution flag. So I think they had about 11 cautions in this race, something of that number. I, I, that's the one thing I always try to look for, the cautions. And, you know, after a while, I lose count. And I think I watched the first stage and I watched towards the end of the little bit of the second stage. And I watched a little bit towards the end, the last 10 laps in the overtime session. And essentially... Uh, with that, after the second overtime, it was basically they were going to try to run two laps again. And once the second caution came out, it was basically NASCAR had to look at the track positions of the drivers prior to the button being pushed for the caution. So Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was in first place at that time. So he wins in double overtime. Joe Logano, defending series champion, finishes second and Christopher Bell finishes third. So. Uh, manufacturers, it went Chevy Ford Toyota. So basically, all of the manufacturers were represented one, two, three uh, in the finishing order uh, in the in the race. So that I mean that's interesting. Uh, usually, um, this race, you know, well, most races you can kind of get a nice mix of different manufacturers, or sometimes you get one manufacturer that's a little more dominant. Um, so again, um, interesting start to the season. Um, kind of got a chance to uh, talk to our, our our senior NASCAR correspondent Drew, and uh, he basically uh, his hot take or his his take rather not a hot take his take on Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning. He said, "Well, this is good for him because he will forever be immortalized as a winner of this prestigious race. They called it the Great American Race for a reason, but he does not think he's going to win another race this year." Now. From that perspective, here's the thing. He won a race, so he will be competing for the championship in the season once the playoffs start. But they're a small team. You know, he hasn't won. Stenhouse hasn't won a race since I think the last race, the last Daytona race that was in the summer. So they race again in I think June, July. They have a Daytona race. So I think that's the last time he won Daytona. So interesting to see what's going to happen. As far as that team, will they, you know, kind of potentially have the opportunity to win another race? So we'll kind of obviously keep our eye on it as the season progresses. This is only the second official first official race of the season. Race two will be Sunday at Fontana, the Auto Club Speedway. They'll go 200 laps in the Pala Casino 400. The green flag drops 330 on Fox. Let's move over to college basketball. Let's talk about the ladies first. So just to recap of some scores from Tuesday night, number seven, Maryland over number six, Iowa, 96 to 68. This wasn't even close. And I'll kind of get to the seeding in a moment because kind of like 
Mr. Costanza, I have a few problems with you people. <laughs> and those people, I mean, the, the, the seat, the committee who's seating this. And when I saw this tweet last night, I was just like, you got to be kidding me. Now, after I kind of sat and wrote the show and looked at some of the teams and looked at their records and schedules, don't have as many problems with the seating as I thought. I, I'm going to make a couple I'm going to make a couple comments. There's a couple things I personally think should happen, but we'll go through that in just a moment. But Iowa, a lot of people have been talking about Iowa's a Final Four team. I don't know if Iowa's a Final Four team. I think uh, we'll get to the seeding in a moment, but they are seated in the top 16. But Iowa's a Final Four team. I'm not quite seeing it. And and I think I've talked about that before, but we'll, we'll get into it in a moment. From Wednesday night, Oklahoma State over number 20, Iowa State 73-68. Nebraska takes down number 25, Illinois 90-57. So Nebraska, they've been, I think they were one of the teams at the beginning of the season. A lot of folks thought they were going to really be kind of in the mix in the Big Big Ten. I think they're 15-14 and 14 or something to that, uh, to that number, 15-13. and 13. So probably a team that will, might play some postseason basketball. Um, they got Illinois, so a much improved Illinois team that actually has been in the in the top 25 a couple times. So with this loss, they'll probably be out of the top 25 again. But again, a team that has one of a few teams in the country that has turned around greatly this year. Illinois, I think uh, I forget their how many wins they have, but they are way above their win total from last season under the leadership of new head coach, first year head coach Shauna Green. Last night, number one, South Carolina continues to roll. They beat Tennessee 73-60. UCLA was upset by Washington State 62-55. Arizona, again, they lose to Oregon 73-59 in Eugene. The Ducks in a seven-game losing streak. Again, Arizona is being plagued by terrible shooting. They shot 30% from the field, 22% from three. Oregon was on fire, 47% from the field, 42% from the field. So, again, as we get into the seeding and from seeding stuff, Arizona's in the top 16. We'll kind of talk about that in a minute, but I, you probably know where I'm going with this. If you listen to the show, I've been talking about Arizona. I don't know. I'm, 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 we'll talk about it. Let's look at the sat, let's look at the weekend slate tonight, starting in Columbus. Number seven, Maryland visits number 16, Ohio State. That game tips off 6 p.m. on Big Ten Network. Saturday, we got a couple good ranked matchups on Saturday. Number three, Stanford visits number eight, Utah and Salt Lake, 2 p.m. I no TV for that one. So that's a ranked game. I'm hoping that could potentially be either ESPN, maybe ABC. Well, maybe not ESPN, probably ABC or uh, check your local listings for Pac-12. That could be Pac-12 Mountain. Sunday. Number 22, UNC takes the ride down to Durham to take on number 11, Duke. That game noon on ACC Network Extra, which why is on Network Extra. That is a ranked matchup. UNC is trying to get some payback for, uh, I believe, Duke won the first matchup at home. 2 p.m. ESPN, number two, Indiana heads to Iowa City to take on number six, Iowa. All right, let's get into these seedings. So the top, the final top 16 seed reveal happened on the ladies' side. Let's run through this. Your number one seed, so in order from best to worst, or best to lowest, not worst, lowest. South Carolina is your number one overall seed. Duh. Number two is Indiana. Number three, Stanford. Number four, Utah. Your two seeds, LSU, Maryland, UConn, and Virginia Tech. Your three seeds, Iowa, Notre Dame, Duke, and Ohio State. 
your four seeds, Texas, Villanova, Arizona, Michigan. I'm good with the one seeds. The only thing I'll say about the one seeds is I think LSU, Utah could wobble a little bit. But for the most part, I kind of am good with the one seeds. If you swapped Utah and LSU, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. I think LSU, I think the SEC for the most part, I, I as, as I'm thinking about this and talking this through, you could probably look at this more from a standpoint of strength of conference. So the SEC really top to bottom when you look at it, not a terrible conference, but you got South Carolina and South Carolina's running roughshod over everybody. Then there's LSU and then everybody else. So again, I can kind of see why Utah is that fourth number one seed. So, but if there were a swap, I wouldn't be mad at that either. But LSU's, I think in a good position, Utah's in a good position. Um, your two seeds, UConn, as a as I don't know, I think Notre Dame is a little underseeded. I would swap UConn to Notre Dame. I'd push UConn to the three line. That's me personally. Um, Ohio State three seed. I'm good with that. I wrote that in my notes, so I think I'm good with that. Iowa, going back to what we said, they're the number. They're the they're the top three seed. Um, I'm good with that. Now Iowa's a Final Four team. I don't know. Looking at the teams ahead of them, so they're the ninth. Top, they're the number nine top seed or the number nine seed in the top 16. Um, looking at the teams in front of them, I think they may be, I won't say outmatched. I think there are some teams that could probably find some creative ways to outplay them a little bit. Because again, what you got? You got Monica Susana, you got Caitlin Clark, and you've got a surrounding cast around them. So again, the one thing that most people look at is they're looking at Caitlin Clark. And what she's capable of doing now is Caitlin Clark going to go out and shoot a double, double, triple, double every night. No, she's going to hit those points where she can do that. She can straight shoot. She's a shooter. But my whole thing is this is my thinking. I would actually work to slow her down. I mean, she's going to get her points. I work to slow her down and force the rest of the team to beat me. So if the rest of the team steps up, beats you, cool. If the rest of the team can't come up with the points of the production and what's necessary to win, you may have the answer. So I don't know. Iowa's a Final Four team. I'm not seeing it. There are some folks. There are maybe of the experts, the quote unquote experts. I think there are a couple people who think Iowa might have the juice to get to the Final Four. I'm not seeing it. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not going to say no, but I'm not quite seeing it. That's just me. But I do think they make. I think they make a good run. They made, I think maybe elite eight. I'd have to obviously see the bracket where they, where they sit with the bracket and who they face, but possibly elite eight. I don't think they get to the final four. That's just me. Now the four seeds, I'm a little, I got a few issues with the four seeds. So let's go to the four seeds. So we got Texas, Villanova, Arizona, Michigan, Arizona is being oversold right now. Arizona shooting is a problem. Now, if they, Say, if you say to me, here's Arizona, here's their shooting, you see a, you know, a plateau up and then they or I'm sorry, an upswing, a plateau and then maybe a slight dip and then they keep it consistent, go up and be consistent. That's one thing. Arizona, their shooting has been such a sine wave. So, you know, up, down, up, down for those of you who failed math like me and I'm using terms like sine wave. Um I've said before, I think Arizona, depending upon the team they play, I think they can win a first round game. 
Maybe the second round game was a more difficult, but I think if, if they can play defense and shoot, it's just the problem is if they can't maintain the shooting, if they can't get better than, say, 40 percent and the other team shoots 50 percent, well, we know who wins. But the other thing is, as we saw, I always go back to the Kansas game. Kansas not only shot the ball well, but Kansas shredded their defense. I mean, they were getting backdoored to death. So for me, Arizona, possibly a two-weekend team if the shooting doesn't get better. Now, if they hit a hot streak in the Pac-12 tournament, so they think they've got what? They go to Corvallis after this loss in Eugene. They go to Corvallis, and I think the season will probably wind up at some point within the next few days because the conference tournaments will start in earnest and over the next two weeks for the ladies. With that said, if they hit a hot streak in the Pac-12 tournament, get some time after getting the tournament and they start shooting better, this is probably a well-deserved four seed, but I don't see it. So um, here's what I say. I think UCLA is being a little undersold. So UCLA, we look at this. I think they they lost to Arizona in two overtimes. They lost to Stanford. Okay, kind of expected. If you have to give them a, quote, bad loss, they lost to Washington State. Now, Washington State's not that bad. I think Washington State is, they're, they're a good team. They're, they're, they're dangerous, but they're not one of the it teams in the Pac-12. So that's the only, at least from what I glanced at the schedule, there's probably a loss I'm either overlooking, but from what I saw, they did well in the non-conference. So with that said, I think UCLA is being undersold. So here's me. Here's the four seeds for me. And even Texas, I was originally a little reticent about Texas, but after I looked at their schedule, who they lost to, okay, I'm good with Texas as the top four seed. And I think I was basing it more on the fact that Texas has kind of been, again, up and down. They you know, had some injuries early. Remember, they had lost to UConn. Rory Harmon wasn't in the, in the lineup, but they've kind of been very up and down. But I believe they are leading the Pac-12 right now. But here are my fours. Me, personally. Texas, Michigan, UCLA, Villanova. So I would push Villanova down to 16. Keep Texas where they are. I'd push Arizona out. So I'd push Arizona to, if they, what, one, two, three, four. Arizona, maybe five or six seed, personally. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look at the rest of the, rest of the field. But I don't think with their shooting, I mean, you look at them, Arizona on paper, Yes, they are a stacked team, but they're shooting to me and and their losses. And like I said, with that loss to to Oregon the other night, what they lost by what? Uh, they lost by 14 and shot 30% from the field. I don't know if they're a four seed, but I, I would push them out. I think we're overselling them a little bit. I think based on past performance, based on who they are, um, I think this current Arizona team, as I said, maybe, maybe they get past the second weekend. If they hit one bad shooting game, they're finished. So I got Texas, Michigan, UCLA, Villanova as my four seeds. All right, let's go over to the men's side. So action from Tuesday night, Villanova over number 16, Xavier, 64-63. Number 14, K-State takes down number nine, Baylor by 10, 75-65. Number 25, Texas A&M takes down number 11, Tennessee, 68-63. Michigan State takes down number 17, Indiana, 80 to 65. So Michigan State, they've kind of been in the background, kind of hitting here and there. 
Um, they've got a good lineup. They've been winning games where they need to win games. Um, they took that Indiana, which Indiana's kind of hit a bit of a slide as a rate as a recent. Um, again, I think Indiana, um, they're I think they're ready to ramp up a little bit. I believe they are in, I think they're second or third in the standings currently, and they are making that final push towards, you know, solidifying that seed. And then of course, getting that double buy in the big 10 tournament. And this is where they got to make their stand here. They've got to really push hard towards the tournament. So again, they're in the tournament. Um, but they can probably make their seating a little bit better. But again, hitting their stride probably now going into the tournament is, again, going to help them kind of regain some footing because this is an Indiana team that came into the season with a lot of hype and they've lived up to it. They've had some not so great losses, but I think Indiana is still you know, a team that I think that can kind of make some stuff happen. Wednesday night. Virginia loses to Boston College 63-48. Listen to this. Again, poor shooting. Virginia shoots 32% from the field. Boston College shoots 52%. And BC also hit 40% from the three-point line. So, is it panic time in Charlottesville? Maybe. And the reason I say that is this. I feel like the lineup for, for the Cavaliers has not been really solidified i think tony bennett's kind of really been making some lineup changes um usually virginia can shoot well and overcome shooting woes in other ways but when you're giving up 40 percent from the three-point line and you're only shooting 30 32 there's no way to kind of make up for that so is this a team that can make a final four run maybe and the reason i say maybe is again it's the shooting it's you know i sometimes i feel like last season there are times where i felt like well maybe and this is early in the season i felt like maybe teams have sort of figured out the pack line defense but as the season went along it was just the team just wasn't as in sync they weren't as you know prepared and ready to go um in past years this year you look at the lineup you go okay they've got some guys they've got the ability to make a run you saw some improved shooting from guys like armand franklin who you know unfairly took a lot of uh he took a lot of uh just criticism from the fans which i thought was just totally unfair i mean here's a young man who's you know doing everything is asked of him hey shooters hit a skit it happens so not a lot you can do about that but his shooting has dramatically improved. He talked about his process and you know what he did over the summer. So he worked with a lot of folks and he's been shooting a lot better. But of course, you see guys like Reese Beekman, who's, you know, his shot has improved. But at the same time, too, you gotta think somebody has kind of gotta step up a little bit more for this team. Um, you know, Reese Beekman is a guy who's got the experience. Um, you know, I love him as, you know, what he does for that team, but you know, you got to get some more guys to really step up and that lineup has got to start to gel a little bit better, but this is a, this is kind of a bad, this is a bad loss. So how that will affect the seating, we'll kind of see that hopefully in about a week or so. I think probably next week, uh, will probably be the last time we'll see seating, uh, preliminary seating for the top 16. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we'll have Selection Sunday coming up very, very shortly uh, in kind after the end of the men's tournaments. Last night, Illinois took down number 21 Northwestern 66-62. Let's look at the schedule for Saturday. Number eight, Texas goes to Waco to take on number nine Baylor. That game 2 p.m. on ESPN. 
Number 17, Indiana heads to West, West Lafayette to take on Purdue. Fifth-ranked Purdue, 7.30 on Fox. College game day will be in Spokane at the Kennel. Number 15, St. Mary's comes in to take on their rivals, Gonzaga. 12th-ranked that game, West Coast Conference after dark, 10 p.m. on ESPN. Let's look at the men's top 16 seeds. Your, your one seeds, Alabama, Houston, Purdue, and Kansas. Your two seeds, Texas, Arizona, Baylor, UCLA. Your three seeds, Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, and Kansas State. Your four seeds, Indiana, Marquette. Oh, I wrote Marquette twice. That's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> 15 seed, blah, blah, blah. 16 seed, Xavier. So, the only, so that actually doesn't affect anything because, honestly, <laughs> the only three teams I'm going to focus in on briefly are Tennessee, Virginia, and Indiana. So, we just talked about Virginia and Indiana. So when the next seeding rankings come out, does Virginia hold the three line? Does Tennessee hold the three line? Right now, between those two teams, if everything held the same, I could definitely agree with Tennessee, Virginia, Iowa State, Kansas State. Um, Indiana as the top four seed, I can see that. But again, my questions are the nine, the 10, the 13 positions. So two, three seeds, one, four seed with these losses, does that change their position very much? Are there teams outside of the top 16 that could kind of push in and maybe shift this up a little bit? So that's something we'll keep an eye on and we'll uh, come back to that a little bit later. Um, oh, before we get to dubs and L's, I did say that there's uh, some college coaching stuff. So uh, the carousel has started. So we've already reported about Mike Bray retiring at Notre Dame and some other uh, co coaching news. And I've talked about the Georgia Tech situation. So let's just kind of give you a preview. So this is a ESP, ESPN Plus article that talked about some of the coaching things that could happen. So remember Chris Beard. So Chris Beard was accused of domestic domestic assault. I believe he was cleared of all charges. Um, but prior to that happening, prior to the uh, judicial uh, process taking, you know, the, the full time to go through the beard situation, Texas fired him. So there was a morality clause in his contract, which is kind of what I thought. Right now, uh, Rodney Terry is the interim coach. So here's some questions. So question one, does Texas, do they take the interim tag off of Rodney Terry's title and make him the permanent head coach? That's one question. The other thing, or the other situation that people are looking at, people are looking at the Kentucky situation because guess what? Everyone's unhappy with Kentucky season. A lot of people are calling for Kyle Perry to get out of town. And what happens if Kentucky and Texas, I'm sorry, Kentucky and Kyle Perry go to separate ways? Then the question is, maybe Kyle Perry goes to Texas. Then if that happens, <laughs> that is going to just destroy the whole carousel. That's going to blow everything up. Everybody's going to go in so many different directions. It's going to be absolute insanity. So that's going to be one interesting uh, thing to follow. Georgetown. Sadly, inevitably, we know that Patrick Ewing is probably going to be out. Whether it's going to be he'll just say, I'm done. He'll resign. You know, He'll be formally let go. Whatever the situation is, I hope that they just say, look, we all know what this is. They kind of just let them go quietly and, you know, whatever, whatever. But a couple names to think about at Georgetown. 
Some folks are talking about Providence's Ed Cooley, and we've seen the great work he's done at Providence. And, you know, Providence, we know, has had some great coaches, you know, like uh, some guy, what, uh, Donovan, Billy Donovan went there. Um, was it was the Patino coach there back? I believe it was Patino coach back, coach there back in the day. But here's another name to keep your eye on, Mike Bray. So remember, with the Mike Bray retirement, initially it was, oh, he's retiring, blah, 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 blah. Then he goes, what? I'm not done with basketball. I'm just retiring from Notre Dame. Oh, okay. So Mike Bray is a name you could possibly see in the Big East at Georgetown. Remember, he is a DMV guy. Um, Let's see. Oh, and then the other thing with Texas, going back to Texas for a second, their AD is known for making, you know, these big home run hires or swinging for the fences for candidates. So one of the names in the list was, wait for it, Tony Bennett. Don't you put your hands on my coach. That's all I'm going to say about that. No, no, Texas. No, you stay in your corner. No calling Tony Bennett. No bueno. Um, Again, with Texas, Chris Beard. Some, some folks ask, could he be back in basketball? Now, considering the fact that he was accused of domestic assault, um, he was cleared of charges. I mean, it didn't look very good. My take on it is he probably will get another chance, probably more sooner than later. If he doesn't, he'll probably be somewhere, maybe on an island somewhere, or he may get a chance to maybe be on TV for a short time. If not this season, he'll be back in basketball next year. He'll be coaching somewhere very soon but some people may feel like because of what happened all you know again wrong is wrong whether you know again we don't know all the details details tell us you know the initial details tell us okay he choked his fiance now she's saying she's recanting texas let him go you know wrong is wrong wrong is wrong is wrong but with that said you know when these things happen, we know people get second chances. And in some regards, it's not right. Here, he was clear to charges. Again, we don't know how much of the recanting played into it. Did it happen? Did it not happen? I, again, I don't know the details. But nevertheless, some folks may back off him for a little bit to say, eh, you know, maybe we'll pass. So if that's the case, maybe this cycle he doesn't get rehired, but he'll probably get rehired at some point very soon. Um, I've talked about Stanford. So Jared Haas is probably on his way out the door. It's not been a good, a good marriage for Stanford and Jared Haas. So here's a name I haven't heard in a while. So Utah Valley in the Western athletic conference, they are having a great season and all in part to their head coach, Mark Madsen. You remember that name, mad dog Madsen, I believe is what they called him. So he was on the 98 Stanford Final Four team. I mean, who else to bring in but one of your former guys? And I think he co he played for uh, who was a Mike Montgomery, who was the longtime coach. I believe he played for Montgomery. I, mean, I think Montgomery was still at Stanford at the time. But again, bringing back a guy who's currently very successful as a head coach in Division One, bringing him back to your program. He knows the culture. He knows what it takes to win can bring guys in, of course, the transfer portal, playing a big role in recruiting and bringing in talent. Mark Madsen could be heading back to the farm if they let Jared Haas go uh, at Stanford. Um, Clemson, let's go to Clemson. 
Brad Brownell's good. Now, listen, we've talked about Brownell on a few occasions, and they've been saying, oh, well, he hasn't quite lived up to the hype, and, you know, we got to let him go. But, I mean, Clemson start off the ACC season hot. They've hit a little bit of a skid. I think Clemson can probably get into the tournament. And a lot of people are thinking how they, you know, either getting into the tournament or essentially getting in and performing well in the tournament could save his job. I don't know. I think it'd be crazy if you fire Brad Brown at this point. Plus, he signed an extension with, I think, a couple seasons ago. And it hasn't been terrible. I mean, there it hasn't been up to it hasn't been as great as folks wanted it to be but it's been good so we know the difference between great and good but again he's winning games players are coming in they're they're working hard i think brownell is safe that's just my personal opinion from what he's seen from what i've seen um one last um team uh st john's i think was it mike i cannot remember his name he used to coach at arizona i'm sorry arkansas um, not been a good marriage there. Um, uh, bringing him as head coach, the, the, the congruency of the fit was very weird because I don't think he'd ever coached on the East coast coaching in New York. I mean, again, a city where you literally have all this talent. I mean, look at what Shaheen Holloway did at St. Peter's. He got Jersey guys, New York guys. They damn near go to the final four last year. Then he, you know, moves over. Uh, moves up the road back to West Orange to go back to uh, his alma mater, Seton Hall. So, you know, he's probably he's going to do some great things there. But St. John's looking like they potentially could be looking for a new head coach. Let me throw some names at you. We'll throw Mike Bray back in the mix. Um, Rick Patino. So he's at Iona. He's not very far away. So Patino at St. John's. Man, we t- and St. John's is in the new Big East. We could be seeing a new heyday of... Big East basketball here, you bring Patino in because, man, the fans are going to come a running <laughs> to some St. John's games if you got Patino on the sidelines. Now, I think Rick Patino, when he took the Iona job, he was kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm here. You know, we're trying to, you know, play some good basketball. Um, I think he kind of downplayed, you know, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. But I don't know. I mean, you look at St. John's history, you look at where they are, what they could recruit. Guys who could come play for him. I mean, yeah, there's a good possibility. But at the same time, remember, he was away from basketball for a little bit for some not great things. So St. John's, do they look at this as here's a potential opportunity or mm, Patino might be a liability? I don't know. So I mentioned Patino, Mike Bray, Bobby Hurley. So Bobby Hurley is a Jersey guy. Now, he signed an extension a couple seasons ago. His extension's up last. He's It was up uh, next season. And I think I saw a clip. He just, I hope this is real. I think he recently got tossed out of another game. So I've said this before. Bobby Hurley really needs a good anger management coach because I swear he's he he's not a young man. And don't get me wrong. I have my moments too, but y- you got to let some stuff go. And he he still has this. You can see on the sideline, he's very intense. He's always been a very intense. He's an intense player, intense coach. And I don't know, some moments he looks like the vein in his neck is about to freaking explode. So, again, you get a guy who's passionate. I mean, we'll just say he's passionate. You get a guy who's passionate about college basketball. And let's say Arizona State makes the move and lets him go. 
I mean, he could end up back. He could end up in the Big East. Potentially, there's a name that you should look out for. So Bobby Hurley, possibly. But again, we'll see how it all goes. But I think Arizona State had a pretty good start to the season. I don't think it's really gone great this season. I think it's a little bit better from what I recall. But again, you know, he's still technically on the hot seat. Oh, one other name from St. John's. Here's a guy whose name has come up on a number of jobs over the last few years. I think a guy who's quietly underrated as a head coach, James Jones at Yale. Um, so I think about two or three years ago, Yale made a really nice run in the tournament. But quietly, you know, James Jones has really put together a great program at Yale. I think they're consistently in uh, the top four. So I think what the Ivy League has done, it used to be they would just crown a regular season champion and the regular season champion will get the automatic bid. Now, I think what they do now for the men's and the women's in the Ivy League, I think the top four teams play a, a tournament. So you get the top four. They go to one of the gyms. I think last year they played the actual final at Harvard. Might, it might be a seed thing. I think it's the higher seed host. But anyway, Yale and Harvard uh, went at it for the for the Ivy League last year. And I think Yale won it. I don't recall. I can't remember what I did yesterday. But uh, nevertheless, he is a very good coach. And I think somebody who's underrated and probably somebody who, if a team came and made the right offer, I think James Jones might make the jump from Yale to a uh, another a, a power five job. But I think he's overdue. He's still, you know, still a young man. So I think he's his time is coming, but we'll see how that goes. All right. Let's get to dubs and L's. So, um, wow, I've got. Ooh, I've got a lot of L's today. Oh boy, let's just get the L's out of the way because because I found I had one in mind that that's kind of been big in the news. Then I found another one just scrolling Twitter, which <laughs> I, I I hate it when I find accidental L's. I rather find an accidental dub. So let's see. Let's start. Yeah, let's get the let's get the L's over with. I always write the L's first because the sadly enough the L's are always just right there in your face. All right, the first L. So this. What I'm about to say is not the L in and of itself, but the reason is the L. So as we know, the big news in sports, especially here, if you've been living, if you where I live in the DMV, big news, Eric Bieniemy uh, accepted the position of, I think, associate head coach and new offensive coordinator of the commanders. So that in and of itself is not the L because we know Bieniemy. number one, he's a really good coach. Um, the L is the simple fact that what he basically has to leave Kansas City, where he's coaching arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. He's in Andy Reid's coaching tree and he has to leave to come to a dysfunctional team like the Commanders. Their quarterback situation is up in arms every season, even during the season, their quarterback situation is up, is, is up in the air. And he's got to come essentially just, you know, try to make a pile of crap look good. <laughs> I mean, how do you make a pile of crap look good? You, you really can't. It's just it's just a pile. You know, it's just there and it stinks, you know. So my problem here is simply this. Let's listen to some of the names in the Andy Reid coaching tree. Sean McDermott. He's the head coach of Buffalo. Uh, John Harbaugh. So he's won a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson, he's the current head coach of Jacksonville, but he won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Uh, Ron Rivera. So Ron Rivera was, you know, uh, he was a, a, a coordinator for a while. Then I think he, you know, and there was a long time where, OK, Ron Rivera is rumored to, 
you know, going to be a head coach and he didn't take a head coaching job. Then he takes the Carolina job, gets them to Super Bowl, didn't win it. But then, of course, he comes to the commanders after a long string of head coaches who just couldn't succeed in this terrible climate in this Washington in this Washington franchise. Uh, Matt Nagy. So, again, there's one outlier because he was absolutely terrible in in Chicago. Todd Bowles, another outlier, because Todd Bowles and Airbnb kind of have some stuff in common. The fact that Todd Bowles had to move around and do different jobs as court, do different coordinator jobs to finally get a head coaching job. He's head coach at Tampa. So my point is this. And we've said this before. There's all this talk out there as to why the enemy's not a head coach. And my whole thing is this. So one of the things people talked about is Andy Reid has said, yeah, I'm not going anywhere for a while. Because a lot of people think the natural progression would be Reid says, eh, I'm done. And you promote the enemy to head coach. But since Reid's like, I'm not going anywhere for a while, which... We see we see that in sports all the time. So we talked about Jim Beheim at Syracuse. So in the college uh, basketball carousel, they talk about retirements. And here's somebody who said, yeah, I'll probably be back next season. And the guy who was supposedly his coach in waiting is probably about to get canned in Washington because he looked up and says, I'm going to be the next head coach of Syracuse. Beheim goes, hold my beer, and he rolls out, has one good season in Washington, and now he's about probably about to get canned because they've been absolute crap since then. But back to the enemy. If Reed is not going anywhere, and of course he's probably interviewed for every job from here to there, what do you do? The rest of his coaching tree, these guys go from coordinator to head coach with maybe a couple of, with maybe an exception or two. Why is it that Eric Bianmi can't get a job? I even said, and, and kind of going back to the conversation that I had with uh, with Drew because he asked me about this uh, when we talked, and I said, you know, heck, Bianmi, maybe he should go coach in college. I mean, I thought he potentially could uh, could have been, uh, you know, considered for the Colorado job. I don't know if they even talked to him. I know there were some candidates that they did talk to before they talked to Coach Prime, but Colorado, he's a Colorado guy. But I don't know. I, I, something is very fishy here. And I've been saying this for a while, but I am very sick of a league that pays lip service to this idea of trying to, as they want to say, diversify their head coaching ranks but still find ways to exclude candidates. Now, again, the Rooney rule, the Rooney rule is, okay, well, you have to, you have to interview qualified black candidates. So as I've said before, well, the, the teams have figured out that, well, if we interview a candidate, we've obeyed the Rooney rule. Doesn't necessarily say we have to hire that candidate, but what's, what's the problem here? Why can't a guy who has been running one of the most dynamic, dynamic offenses in the NFL for all these years can't get a head coaching job. I mean, I think the answer is very simple. It goes to the fact that the NFL is full of folks who love nepotism. Oh, what was it uh, from a local radio? Chuck Modiano, shout out to him. The nepotism football league. I, I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. He's absolutely right. There's so much nepotism in the, in the, in the NFL. 
So you got the nepotism, you got the good old boys club, which that's just what every organization in this country, every major organization in this country that has roots in the history of this country or have been around for years and years and years, it's an old boys network. And and you got to think about the owners. I mean, look at the owners. How diverse is the ownership? The ownership in the NFL is not diverse at all. So all those factors and, and even the GMs. So all those factors are playing into the fact that not just Airbnb can't get a job, but look how long it takes for a lot of these black offensive, these black coordinators, not offensive coordinators, but these black coordinators to get a job. I mean, it's 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 astounding. But the NFL wants to tell you, oh, no, it's it's other things. It's not the fact that, you know, we don't care. We care because hashtag in racism. Spare me. Just spare me. My whole thing is this. Hashtags don't hashtags don't change the problem. Actually saying you have a problem and fixing the problem. I mean, fixing it, not just saying here's the Rooney rule. Do this. You've got to go a little bit further. Fix the problem. The problem is systemic. Just like this country, the problems are systemic. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to deal with it. Everybody just wants to be like, no, the problem's not systemic. It's he's the problem. You're the problem. But never mind. All right, let's move on. L number two, Jeff Bezos is looking to buy the commanders. So headlines should read terrible person who makes lots of money wants to buy football team to potentially continue to make it terrible. That's the that's your headline. I just wrote your headline. So he's hired a firm to kind of look into it. Now, I understand that um, I'm trying to think there's someone else that could be a minority owner. Um, well, in every sense of the word, but um was it somebody? Did someone say Jay Z to me? I don't know. Anyway, nevertheless, Bezos leading this because people have been talking about this for years. They're like, oh, well, Jeff Bezos should buy the team. How is it any better than Dan Snyder? How? The only way that could be better if Bezos buys it and then says, okay, like the formula should be. Okay, GM, do your job. Tell me what you're going to do. I'll write the checks and I'm just going to be quiet, sit in the box and count this money. That's it. Outside the fact that outside that fact, I mean, again, we all use Amazon. You kind of handcuffed by it. But you think about him as a business person, his practices. He's a terrible person. I mean, I mean, if you everybody knows somebody who's worked for Amazon and as much as they want to give you all this marketing fluff on television. I mean, I know people who work for Amazon and I've, I've talked to people who work for Amazon and they just say it's terrible. So. You know, you got the guy who's a billionaire and could literally pay people more or use his fortune to solve some of his workers problems or solve some of the world's problems. But, you know, it is what it is. Hey, let's just make as much money as we can before we die. I mean, that's literally what it is. And what can you do about it? I mean, it's capitalism. I get it. I was a business major in college. I totally understand. But. You also have to be able to do some good in this world because guess what? You can't take it all with you. Somebody can benefit. People can benefit. So, and, and, and you'll probably say, oh, well, he's giving money to this, this organization, this charity, whatever. But I'm talking about solving real, real problems, hunger in this country. I mean, you got 
in in this country where we say we've got so much for everybody, but people go hungry. Men, women, and children go hungry every day. But we can't solve that problem with the money that a lot of these people make. But there you go. That's where we are. But again, Bezos trying to buy it. Can't someone else do it? Like, seriously. <laughs> I mean, somebody better from an ethical standpoint and somebody who can come in and play the role of, I'm just the owner. I don't know anything. I'm just going to sign the checks and try to get us a winning team. That's the person you want. The person that actually has a freaking conscience. The third L. I don't know if I've had three L's on the show, but we're, we're going with this. The third L. Harvard University. They retained their head women's hockey coach. Her name's Katie Stone after players stated she used racist language over the last two seasons. So they retained her after a review. So this is her 27th season as head coach. And only a handful of players have left. There have been a number of players who have left the program. As of late, I think two or three, but I think if I recall from the article in the Boston Globe reported first reported this, I think about 12 players or so have left the program over the last two to three years. But 45 players wrote to the Boston Globe in support of Coach Stone. Two former players who identify as indigenous North Americans during the 2021-22 season left the team. Former team captain and former assistant coach Sidney Daniels left the team and is suing the school for alleged racial and other forms of discrimination. So I bring this to you to say this, that What's going to happen? More than likely, Harvard, with all of its all of its money, is going to say, OK, well, we've got, you know, a three hundred billion dollar endowment. We'll give you 10 million to go away and not talk about this again. Um, sadly, um, this young lady, she's going to be estranged from her alma mater again. Uh, terrible. But it, 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 it astounds me how we are kind of so. Let me let me look at this two ways. Some people will say, well, again, it's cancel culture. Why are we trying to cancel people? Why are we tolerating people who use racist language? Why are we tolerating racist? That's where we are. In 2023 in America, we are tolerating. I mean, we've racists have been tolerated, but the issue here is people are getting more and more open with it, and we're just tolerating it. It's like bring back shame, bring back saying that this is not okay that's the problem so yeah she should be shamed for that you know she said things that uh were offensive to players on her team who are indigenous uh north americans so why is that okay so harvard and coach stone uh did not respond to any requests for for interview from the boston globe nor espn um, I, I guess I'm assuming Harvard has declared the matter closed, but it's just like, when do we finally kind of close the door on people who think like this? So I'd be Coach Stone is almost 60 years old. So if she's not outwardly racist, so now we can say there's latent racism present. So blatant and latent are two different things. Hopefully, you know that. Hopefully, you took the SAT or something, whatever. But anyway, you went to school. Blatant and latent are the same thing. So earlier we talked about, I, you know, I think I said what uh, Tim McCarver said, his latent racism going, dude, you said racist things to kids. Your racism was blatant. And Kurt Flood and Bob Gibson galloping your grill about it. Here, this is, you know, this is something that 
okay, maybe there's some latent racism there. Maybe there's some blatant racism we don't know about, but from what's coming out, it seems to be latent and there needs to be something that has to happen. So maybe behind closed doors does Harvard say, hey, coach, you get your act together. I don't know. I doubt it. But there's a lot of this out there and it's just being tolerated and it's getting very sickening and disgusting. So um, shame on Harvard. Boo to you. Um, yeah. Boo. Boo this. Boo this school. Boo this school. Uh, let's get to the dub. Finally. Good Lord. That, that was way too many L's. Did I, did I just bring the room down? I felt like I did. But let's get to the dub for the day. Today's dub goes out to Chicago White Sox minor league pitcher Anderson Comas. He publicly announced on his Instagram that he is gay and he is the second major league active major league player to come out. And the first was David Denson in 2015 with Milwaukee. So from his Instagram, so he started his um, his post with a disclaimer. If you're homophobic, this post is may not for you or maybe yes. So you can see we all matters and we all are the same close quote. So he you know went through a, you know, just a, a paragraph to kind of talk about you know, where he, I was feeling, but he said his reason for coming out is, quote, I find the beginning of the quote here. He said, quote, I'm doing this because I want to be an inspiration for those like me out there fitting for their dreams. Please don't listen to those stupid things that people say about us. Fight for your dreams. Believe in yourself and go for it. Close quote. So the White Sox organization came out with a statement in full support of him. And a, 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 a statement came out from Billy Bean, who's the major league baseball senior vice president of diversity equity and inclusion so if you remember um think last summer uh we had a dub or the the, the new york uh, wow the la dodgers rather they have a pride night and i think this is i think when i heard about it this is maybe their third or fourth pride night so they have another one this season um and so we're seeing more of that and it's good to see because what a lot of sports teams are recognizing is their fan base. I mean, obviously, fan bases uh, for many sports, not for many sports, many of your mainstream sports are very diverse in a lot of ways, ethnically, um, you know, lifestyle, um, you, know, you know, race, etc. cetera. Um, so I, every now and then I check in on uh uh, the University of Wisconsin women's team. So, uh, uh, and they had a uh, they had a pride night for one of their home games a few weeks ago. So, shout out to Badgers women basketball and head coach Marissa Mosley. So, doing you know she's doing some great things with that program. They're they're slowly making the climb up. Uh, I think they got some really good recruits coming in next year. But again, I, she uh, did a video to kind of explain why they felt it was important to have. Uh, this pride night for one of their home games. And it's very simple. It's like you recognize that there is diversity in your, your fan base. And it's wild to me how people hear the word diversity and think, Oh, well you're against me. And it's not, no, no one's against you. No one's saying that you don't matter. We're saying that we've got to essentially be open to everyone, no matter what they believe, um, you know, what their lifestyle is, ethnic background, that that's just it. And so Major League Baseball, in some regards, I think they get it. Now, this young man, um, you know, I'm sure he's going to encounter 
and has and probably will encounter very ignorant people who are going to have very ignorant things to say. But his message is very clear that he wanted to essentially not live his life in secret. But he also wanted to say that, look, I'm out here. And if there are other young people or people in my position who feel that they have to kind of keep that part of their life quiet, don't do that. You can still be out and essentially live your life and live your dreams. And he's doing that. So I so I applaud him and that that's just really great for him. And um, hey, I wish him the best this season. Uh, so he's in the minor leagues for the White Sox. I'm hoping he'll get an opportunity to make it to the big leagues really soon. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, with that, <laughs> we got through it. Three L, three L's in one show. I really got to go through the archives and figure out have I ever, ever done three L's in one show. It's never the intention. Every now and then, and it's been kind of tough as of late to have more than one dub. So we got one good dub, three pretty terrible L's. Now I have to start to ask you, which L was the worst of the three? Or are they all pretty bad? But anyway, I'm glad you joined me today. I appreciate you listening. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Email the show, emails and show notes, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts on anything from today, from today's show. Um, share the podcast. Uh, I thank you for listening. Um, share the podcast as far as on your social media. Um, you know what to do. Uh, give me a five star rating if you can. And until I talk to you next week, I'm not going to tell you what day because I have no idea at this point. My schedule is so goofy that I would love to record for you on Monday, but we'll see. But whenever I talk to you again, make sure that you continue to do what mask up, protect yourself. Uh, stay healthy and always remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.